Welcome to the Economic Development Matters Podcast. I'm Brianna Morris, and together with my co-host Sherry Baslama, we talk about matters related to economic development and why it matters. Sherry and I work together at Edmonton Global, where we focus on attracting investment into the Edmonton region and helping our local companies expand internationally. On this podcast, we discuss how we can compete globally and build a sustainable and prosperous economy to enhance the lives of the people in our communities. Our guest today is Evan Walker, a graduate student at the University of Alberta in the Department of Political Science. Evan is a policy intern at Edmonton Global, thanks in part to funding from MyTax, a nonprofit national research organization. Evan is currently wrapping up a research paper for us exploring global best practices in red tape reduction to support business investment and economic growth. Welcome, Evan. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of your background? Yeah, sure. So as mentioned, right now I'm a graduate student at the University of Alberta in the Department of Political Science. Uh, Before that, I finished my undergraduate degree uh, in political science and economics at the University of Lethbridge. Uh, My main research interest right now at the graduate level is actually inspired by concepts in economic geography. Uh, In particular, I like to look at the political effects of economic decline in place. You know, for example, um, what might the political consequences be of regions that are no longer economically competitive? Are they falling on hard times? And I think a classic example of that is like the Rust Belt in the U.S. is kind of a well-known example or uh, Southeast U.K., uh, and like the Brexit vote. So in a nutshell, I, I examine what happens when people don't have the opportunity to get ahead anymore. So, yeah. Uh, other than that, I'm a research assistant in the Department of Political Science as well. I work with survey data and I'm a volunteer at the Humane Society. Uh, yeah. And I'm from Southern Alberta originally, but now me and my fiance, we're living up here in Edmonton and we're loving it. So no plans to really leave anytime soon. Yeah, we love Edmonton. Um uh, so, so I came from the UCP before I, I worked for Edmonton Global and the government and, um, red tape was a big thing. And I wanted to explore, um, you know, our, like the execution, like I loved the idea of red tape reduction, but we wanted to look more at like, what are the global best practices? What are other jurisdictions doing? So I'm really happy, Evan, that you agreed to do this project and you've dived into it. Um, in a way like I couldn't have even imagined and you really have a great grasp on it now. So can you tell us what is like, what is red tape? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a pretty complicated concept and I think the term red tape is tossed around a lot, often in a disparaging manner. You know, people tend to bump into something that's inconvenient to them or a bureaucratic barrier and they're immediately going to malign it as red tape. You know, it's some form of regulation. It's in the way they don't want to deal with it. You know, immediately it's red tape. But I think as a result, red tape gets thrown around as kind of a, an ambiguous catch-all term, you know, based on a person's perception or an organization's perception, without any kind of objective measurement of what is burden and necessary and what is burdensome and not necessary. So that's kind of a key distinction for when we start with defining red tape. And if we like defining in vague terms is unhelpful. Like it, so instead, what we use in this research paper is something I've taken from Barry Bozeman, who's a, a key researcher in this area. And we might think of red tape as like rules, regulations, and procedures that remain in force, where they entail a compliance burden for any organization, stakeholder, person, but they have no efficacy, they have no efficiency, and they serve no objective goal valued by any given stakeholder or group. You know, so we might think of red tape more as rules and regulations that have lost their efficacy, they're redundant, they're irrational, they're unbeneficial to either society, industry, or how the market functions. And you know, this is very distinct, I think, because when people think about red tape, 
often they think about it as synonymous with deregulation. Right. And and that's it's really important to kind of kind of I think shift the conversation away from that because it's distinct. Um, it's not you know really removing protections that protect our environment or regulations that protect our environment rather you know emissions other forms of public safety that that's what i'd consider deregulation what we're looking at here is something that's more of an administrative burden something or even something less tangible like time delay you know turnaround times here we're mostly looking at kind of the efficiency aspect not so much whether there's regulations but how quickly can those regulations move and you know when when they get bogged down and when that's when we start to see red tape that's that's kind of the definition i worked with here right so re- red tape is government regulation but if it's red tape, if that term is applied to it, then there's something going on with it that's making business slow down or it's or it's unnecessary or unhelpful. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, or unhelpful, basically. It's in the way – I think we can have kind of like a rule of thumb, you know, for kind of legislation. You know, policymakers need to ask when whether the legislation they introduced is efficacious or, and whether or not it serves an objective goal you know, amongst the stakeholders, stakeholders and like society more generally. And if you're not meeting these two kind of criteria, we could probably reasonably start to think of it as red tape. Yeah. Why were you interested in um, doing this project with Brianna? Well, it actually aligns a lot with my own research interests. You know, when we think about regulation, I, I think we can also think of that as an institution. You know, the, the shape that regulation takes inside each country is very much a part of its institutional arrangement. And I think it's also a key component of keeping regions competitive, which is kind of my my, my little pet project. And regulatory decisions, they, they can be an important factor in determining economic investment and even economic growth, job attraction, retention, and so on. So I thought it might be interesting to see what we might be able to do better here in Alberta, you know, how regulation might be able to make our region a bit more competitive. Um, and I kind of wanted to examine what Alberta has done so far because we saw over the last term, you know, when the red tape reduction ministry was first created, um, you know, it became an easy target, I think, especially on Twitter, you know, for a lot of talking heads, like a ministry of red tape reduction, you know, isn't, isn't that counterproductive? So I thought, you know, I think it's good to hear the whole story and get the whole story out there, how it's implemented and, you know, what it actually looks like. So I, I was quite curious. So how did you structure the study? Like, um, what, what in a nutshell, um, for us non-academic listeners, <laughs> how, what's like the methodology? Yeah. Well, I guess we, we, took a, we took a mixed methods approach for this, is what we'd call a mixed methods. And part of this had a very quantitative, you know, numbers aspect of this, kind of looking at the data, um, looking at the relationship between FDI and regulation. Uh, the other part of it was kind of just what we'd call a jurisdictional scan. You kind of looked around and seeing what other regions are doing and what they've done well and kind of looking at little case studies as opposed like looking at little case studies is kind of see who's done the best. And then the last thing we did was semi semi-structured interviews, which is kind of a qualitative aspect. And that's where I kind of went on my little fact finding mission, I would call it. And just, uh, you know, talk to various stakeholders um, within industry and government just to kind of get the full story as to what Alberta had done so far. Um, yeah. And what did you find? So, well, well, so what we kind of found, um, 
does red tape the question kind of overarching overarching this was does red tape hamper business investment that was kind of the that's a good question kind of the question yeah. that we were working with yeah and the answer to that is maybe a lot more complicated than people might think and i would say maybe it's an, it depends and what i mean by that is even despite you know complicated regulatory environments businesses still manage to turn a profit uh we still have businesses coming here and investing in canada investing in alberta investing in edmonton uh, indeed, Canada might be a world leader when it comes to FDI inflow, especially compared to a lot of our peers. And a lot of bigger firms, they might not care about red tape because large firms can absorb excess regulatory burden. And in some cases, it might even be beneficial for them when it comes to keeping their competition out. On the other hand, when it comes to FDI, the quantitative evidence suggested that, yes, there is a significant relationship between how efficient the regulatory regime is and FDI inflow. And this was kind of somewhat confirmed in my interview process as well. Um, kind of the general sentiment was no investor wants to be confused when trying to enter the market. They don't want to be overwhelmed with either large delays or, you know, duplicative processes or, um, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean businesses want to invest where there's also no regulation because right. right. there's yeah. no there's no security there either right you don't know what to expect yeah exactly yeah there's no security you might have corruption you know and i think for the most part there's kind of a myth that the industry is always looking for you know low barriers to like low regulate regulatory barriers um but that's not really true it, it is for extractive extraction-based industries but the reality is, you know, regulation has the power, I guess, to both enable and impede profit. The trick is more or less having clear regulations and a regulatory environment that can process things quickly and not be overly onerous and burdensome for getting set up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and in fact, kind of what, when I, when I did my quantitative research, I, I constructed three variables. Um, one of them was kind of looking at how quickly businesses can get started. The other one was investment protections for investors. And the other one was kind of ongoing operational costs. And what we kind of found was that after controlling for a bunch of other variables, it's really only like the business getting started that would, that remains significant. You know, that this, so we're looking at delays. What people are concerned about is delays like construction permits, registering property and permitting times. These are, these are major deterrents to investment. And quite frankly, a place where Canada as a whole, you know, not just any province alone, can make a lot of improvements. You know, Canada is ranked really highly for how easy it is to get a business license. But when it comes to registering property, um, you know, stuff dealing with mostly with construction, it, it can be really delayed. And it's not as competitive as some of our G7 competitors and OECD competitors. And I, I think a good example right now is um, the land transfers and permitting can be kind of backlogged here right now. You know, making stuff like that move quicker, that's what really helps kind of move investment along, I, bring investment in. Actually, just um, uh, we just had the Royal Municipalities of Alberta Convention, and there was a question uh, of a, one of the ministers about the land titles and the delays. And I know mm. it's something the government's working on because, to your point, it's very important. So is it fair to say um, then that it's not about like the number of regulations or laws that are on the books, but it's it's about ease of doing business and engaging with government to get what you need? Exactly. Yeah. Because you can have a lot of regulations on the books, but that's not exactly a necessary, it doesn't necessarily lead to how quickly the, it might be a good, I guess I, what I'd say instead is it, it may be a good proxy 
for how burdensome the regulatory environment is, but it's no guarantee. What matters most is, like you said, you know, how quickly you could navigate that environment. So when we look at red tape reduction in Alberta, where did you see most of the effort being focused? Well, I think right now the government's done a lot of, like quite a few things that I would say are a good step in the right direction. Um, you know, right out the gate, something that both government and industry stakeholders were really happy with or proud of, you know, is stuff like digitization. Uh, the big one is DRAS or the digital, digital regulatory assurance system that was introduced by Alberta Parks. And this kind of digitizes the environmental permitting process. And most stakeholders I talked to were pretty satisfied with that. Um, Along with the expansion of stuff like digital signatures, uh, the Aboriginal Consultation Office portal, these have been good steps forward, I think, in kind of speeding up the regulatory process, um, submitting of permits, etc. We've also seen the establishment of a lot of new supportive regulatory frameworks to kind of foster new industry, um, particularly for geothermal, uh, new minerals, uh, financial tech as well. a lot of this has all been brought under kind of the Alberta Energy Regulator, which kind of makes a what we call a, a one-window approach. So you're, you're no longer sending multiple approval forms to different bodies. There's less of an administrative burden there now. Um, designated industrial zones as well, maybe not necessarily something I looked at specifically in my research in terms of the global context, but something that was brought up in the interview process as well. They seem to like the idea so far. Industry likes the idea so far. Um, these designated industrial zones, they're provincially approved clusters of related activity. In this case, it's actually here in Northeast Edmonton, uh, industrial activity, right? And the, the, here the regulations apply zone-wide, they're harmonized, and in, this, in theory, you know, this should save time both in terms of approval and submission of regulatory applications. And if it works well, they currently plan to expand on it. So I think that's a great step in the right direction. So you're talking um, about the Alberta's industrial heartland, right, Evan? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, the kind of a pilot project. I think it's I think it's going on through the 2024, and then I think they plan to expand it thereafter, but I'm not entirely sure on that. But I know that it had been brought up in our interviews, and um, industry is pretty optimistic about it. And it provides a lot of investor certainty as well. So I think those are kind of a couple of really good steps the government's taken so far. On the other hand, there's a lot of stuff that we might not think of as economic red tape, you know, um, stuff that's really not applying to moving the economy quicker, but stuff that makes life better for everyday Albertans. And that's stuff like the My Alberta Digital ID, you know, that, that's a good start in the right direction, you know, online access to health records, stuff that kind of reduces the red tape for the person, but that's less our focus here. But the government's kind of taken a, a pretty broad approach when it comes to reducing red tape. Right. That's Yeah, that makes sense. I guess, like ease of access for government for both... Um individuals and businesses, but because Edmonton Global is focused on bringing in uh, new investment, that's why we're looking at it from the lens of um, economic growth. Um, mm-hmm. So you said juris- a jurisdictional scan was part of your your study. What other um, uh, jurisdictions other than Alberta are really focusing on red tape reduction? Well, it mostly comes to the country level. There's, there's, very, there's very little reliable um, data in like regions or provinces. At least there's not a whole lot written about it right now. But when we think of at the country level, some some of the big countries that are kind of paving the way forward, you know, are the Netherlands, uh, Australia, the United Kingdom for some time, uh, the United States as well. I would say, but they have a kind of a longer tradition than most countries in kind of keeping with red tape reduction. But kind of the quintessential example 
is the Netherlands, and they do a pretty good job. And it's kind of a lot different from what we do here um, in terms of measuring red tape. And I think that's a place where we have the potential to kind of grow. It's kind of replicating the Netherlands a bit more. Um, I feel like we can maybe expand on that if you'd like. Yeah, please. I was, I was just, it's funny. We were just talking about the Netherlands, too, on a, another recent episode on agriculture. I did not know um, that they were doing stuff on red tape. So please tell me how it's different. Yeah, so the Netherlands is actually kind of the pioneers and stuff like this. They came up with something around the end of the 90s. It's called the standard cost model. And it was kind of how they were approximating the cost for every regulation that they introduced. And, you know, there, there's some flaws to it, but they're, kind of, they're focused on getting hard numbers. And kind of what the Netherlands does is they take a, a very institutionalized approach to red tape reduction. They have... They have kind of separate panels that sit independent from government. They're kind of industry representative. It used to be called ACTL. I think now it's abbreviated the ATR. And that's kind of like kind of it reviews legislation before it becomes regulation, essentially. Uh, it gives industry the stamp of approval, you know, so you make sure you're regulating with the lightest touch beforehand. Um, and they're also really, like I said, focused on costs. They're not focused on really measuring how many regulations are in place, but how expensive or how costly would probably be the better way to put it is our regulatory environment in any given year. And that's what they're mostly concerned about reducing and measuring. And so long as that number keeps ticking down, you know, they consider themselves of having done pretty well. Yeah. Year. I can imagine having industry involved in the process from the beginning would be a major bonus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. So, so when It's less retrospective. Right. Sorry. So when you say cost, it would be like, this is like literally the dollar figure that it will take for our industry to comply with the regulation? Yes, exactly. So their standard cost model, um, it's based on kind of measuring if, if one person was like filling out this form, you know, what's the cost of doing that in terms of the wage costs and the time spent completing that cost? And then you multiply that, obviously, by the number of businesses affected, and that kind of gives you a rough cost estimate. I mean, it's it's no perfect estimate, but it gives you something to kind of benchmark. It's interesting. With. What about yeah. municipalities? Like at the municipal level, are there things that uh, governments can be doing to uh, make it easier to do business? Oh, yeah. So the municipalities actually came up a lot uh, during our interviews, not just with industry, but with um, government as well. Um, what we heard, what I heard rather from industry was that where you kind of bump into the most problems can be at the municipal level. And there was kind of a sense that there's a lot of overlap between the province and the municipalities and municipalities and municipalities. And that there wasn't a whole lot of coordination in terms of harmonizing the regulatory environment. So it can be a bit confusing in that way. So when we say, like, what's one big thing that our municipalities in our region could do kind of to improve on the regulatory burden, I think would be coordination with both, and it's on both the province and the municipalities, but coordinating and harmonizing kind of their regulations across jurisdictions would make things move a lot smoother. And that's kind of what we heard is that there's still a lot at the municipal level, because that's where you bump into most of your delays in terms of construction uh, permitting, etc. That still has a lot of ground to be made up. Essentially, there's there's still a lot of confusion and overlap there, and there was some. We didn't really get into many specifics during the interview process, but the kind of the general sense was, you know, when we're bumping into the most problems, it's because there's a lot of delay, kind of within within the cities. 
Well, I had a, I have one friend who's like based in a municipality, but just the nature of her job, she will go to other municipalities in the region because our regional economy is much bigger than one municipality. And she wants to make sure she does everything right. But yeah, she just kind of mentioned like t- to make sure she has the business license in each municipality and the different process and um, and all that. It does just get a little bit confusing, but you also see the municipality yeah. side in it. It is like you you need a business license um, to operate in many, in many of the municipal- municipalities. So how do we um, coordinate and make it easy, um, especially as um, the economy just continues to operate at more of a regional scale? It's um, not even just, I guess... Um, a recent thing ever since we could drive it's easier to <laughs> you know, kick your business and be easily be the next you know live in one municipality and work at another one so um yeah that's an interesting insight yeah they, this is if we could improve some coordination there like I, I, an example that kind of came up in this research was denmark and when denmark kind of makes regulatory changes they kind of start from the lowest level of government up so it starts with the municipalities, and the municipalities share these ideas, and that way it kind of works upwards, kind of to the top of the pyramid, and that way everybody's on the same page. Now there's like conferences, and they coordinate these things. They like to make sure that the best practices are being shared, and I think that's something that we could probably, I think to some extent we already do in Alberta. You know, the municipalities aren't completely like in their own silos. They are kind of borrowing concepts from who's doing it who's doing it well. And there's different pilot projects. I think even what Lake, you brought up the business, the business licensing, you know, there, I think there's some regions now where you can transfer kind of across municipalities. You only have to apply for like one business license and you can operate in several or multiple municipalities, but stuff like that. So that's, that's something that should be shared and I think encouraged. Great. This has been super interesting, Evan. Thanks so much for being here. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we yeah, I think one thing that maybe might be worth look, like kind of discussing is, you know, what could we do right now, you know, to to do better in Alberta, and I guess this would kind of be more along the learn t- t- like uh, lines of policy recommendation. But I think if there's one thing we could change right now, and of course you need the political willpower to make it feasible, and you need the capacity to kind of invest in regulatory modernization. But I th- but a lot of what we looked at in this paper was, was process. It wasn't necessarily, you know, here's regulation X that should change to Y. It was more like, how do we go about finding red tape, staying on top of our regulatory obligations? And in a sense, it kind of created, or I kind of created what I would call maybe a wish list that could be implemented. And so based upon what Alberta does and the best practice around the world, around the world, I think there's a need to change, you know, how we have measured red tape. And I mean, what I mean by this is like the government right now would say we've reduced roughly 30% of its red tape burden. You know, it gets updated pretty frequently and people might wonder, you know, what exactly this means. And right now, you know, Alberta's done something called the counting method which counts like restrictive language and statutes, legislations, policies. Um, and the counting methods, as it sounds, it's, it's a textual analysis of reading kind of inhibitory language. And the aggregate of that is kind of a proxy for how restrictive the regulatory environment is. And, you know, how we've, what, like we mentioned earlier, it might be more helpful to kind of track these costs because the counting method alone, you know, doesn't really tell us the cost associated with the regulatory burden, nor does it classify which burdens might be particularly cumbersome in any objective manner. So the number of regulations alone has no real explanatory path to the causal outcome. 
And the restrictive language there isn't, isn't going to tell us exactly how costly this is, essentially, is what I'm saying. So and the, the, the point here is we, we end up counting regulations, not the cost of these regulations. So I think a good change might be for government to develop a cost-based approach to measuring regulation. And like we said, that's kind of what the Netherlands does. Um, it's a large undertaking, but I think if the count already exists, you know, it comes down to estimating with, say, maybe the standard cost model. Um, maybe that's a good place to start. And I think we've also only just scratched the surface when it comes to stuff like implementing digital regulatory technology or, or what we're calling like uh, reg tech. Uh, I think it's important we explore whatever options are out there now to basically automate forms and permitting wherever possible. You know, this could be particularly helpful in construction where a lot of it's, you know, kind of checking boxes. And I, I point to the example in the paper of Australia. Um, Australia is kind of a sort, sort of a world leader now in using this. And they're basically now using AI to almost pre-populate forms with a, it's a, it's a, it's still in, it's still in a prototype, but it's called permit me. And it, you know, it entirely automates the initial application process by synthesizing the government rules into a public API. You know, the permit me tool automatically checks the permit and licensing requirements for any desired businesses across all three levels of government and can auto-populate the necessary forms on behalf of the users. You know, it's stuff like, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And it's stuff like this that I think we can be more aggressive on. And not just in Alberta, but Canada-wide too, and even our cities. You know, when it when it comes to e-government globally, Canada's still playing a bit of catch-up. And I think DRAS is a great step in the right direction and, you know, the My Alberta Digital ID. But I, I would challenge us to get more aggressive and sort of take that next step. That's cool. I'm going to look uh, that up, yeah. uh, that Australian thing. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, anytime somebody yeah, really AI really. can do paperwork for me, I'm yeah. all in. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. It kind of like frees up your resources, uh, either on the back or the front back or the front end. You know, you don't have to be checking things. And, you know, it takes a lot of burden off the user. It takes a lot of burden off the bureaucrats. Uh, it's still in prototype in Australia, but they're kind of becoming a center for, you know, reg tech companies um, that are kind of trying to move things along faster and make bureaucracy flow quicker. And I, I, yeah, like I said, I think we have a lot of potential there. And last is um, something I'd like to bring up that we haven't talked about yet, really. Um, and it's regulatory impact assessments. And this is something that we, Alberta rather, had done historically. We had a pretty, we had a regulatory impact assessment process in place. And this is essentially, you know, a regulatory review that looks at, legislation before government leaps, I guess. You know, a good regulatory impact assessment isn't just, you know, checking a box. It involves costing, it involves considering the benefits to society, the cost to industry, and it makes sure government is regulating with the lightest touch. If it has to regulate heavily, well, then why is that so? So that is kind of aiming towards when we regulate, we should regulate as efficiently as possible to begin with. And then we save ourselves the problem of having to go back and remove a lot of old legislation or dead wood legislation. Um, you know, let's get it right the first time. And our RIA process, you know, it's kind of fall, what I've been told is that it's kind of fallen out of favor. Um, there's no real legal requirement for ministries to conduct an RIA, be, RIA beforehand, you know, so far as I'm aware. So I think maybe a renewed emphasis on RAs might be really beneficial going forward. You know, the, the, the Alberta government put a lot of effort into reducing the burden by 30%. Uh, how do we keep that number down kind of going forward? How do we just, how do we establish a process that deals with legislation before it becomes a problem, making sure it's lean right out the gate? 
And I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, thanks, Evan. Those are great recommendations and very timely because uh, we have a provincial election coming up. And so um, uh, a lot of uh, or all the parties are kind of thinking of their policy platforms. And um, yeah. yeah, so it's a it's a great time. Uh, thank you so much for all the research you're um, you've done and your paper I know is almost done. So I'm really excited to read the final yeah. product very soon and, and share it. So and thanks for being yeah, here. There's, yeah. yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks Evan. and best wishes with all your studies. Thanks. That's a wrap for today. Thank you for tuning in to the economic development matters podcast brought to you by Edmonton global. For more information about Edmonton global or to get in touch, visit our website, edmontonglobal.ca. Follow us on social media, on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. So you'll be among the first to know when a new episode drops. Thanks for listening. We hope you learned something new about why economic development matters.